Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Have somebody you know that has the flu. Anybody? Nobody? Six people up here. All of us are friends with the same people, I think. Uh, Because uh, it seems like everybody I know is sick this weekend, and uh, we're glad you're here. I'm working through something. I'm not sick. I feel great, but I'll I'll probably be sick in two days. But uh, hey, we're glad that you're here. We're thankful that you chose to be a part of this weekend with us before Thanksgiving. Uh, You heard Pastor Matt talking about it a little bit just over the last couple of minutes, but I want to make sure that you know uh, the next couple of weeks, we're going to have a a little different service schedule. Next weekend, kind of following Thanksgiving, we've got our holiday service schedule where we do 10 and 11.30 only. So if you normally attend 8.30, just hang out in 10 for the next couple of weeks and we'll have some 8.30 folks that will migrate here so you may have to sit a little closer together over the next few weeks. Uh, And then the following weekend, the weekend December the 7th and 8th, we have our kids Christmas production. It's called Candy Cane Lane. The kids have been working on it for months. I think they started back in like August or September and it's awesome. I actually watched one of their rehearsals this last week and uh, you're in for a treat. Uh, The Christmas Christmas production that the kids put on is always a treat, and the reason it is is because you just never know what you're going to get. So you want to be in the room when they're doing it so that the first time you see whatever it is that they did, it's not once it goes viral on YouTube. So make sure you're in the room. You just never know what's going to happen to baby Jesus or Mary and Joseph getting in a fight. It'll be awesome. Uh, So come be a part of that. But here's what we've got that weekend. uh, It would be a little bit too much to ask for our kids to uh, do that on three services on one Sunday, three services in a row. That's a little tough for the kids to be able to pull off. So we are offering it three times, but we're actually going to offer a Saturday service at 1 o'clock. We're kind of calling that our friends and family service. So if you'd like to attend at 1 o'clock, that's probably where grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and teachers and coaches and things are going to come be a part of that on that Saturday at 1. So full service, we'll have worship and the kids will present uh, their Christmas presentation. Uh, We will have baby uh, child care ministry there, but nothing else. All the rest of the kids will be in the auditorium with us for that day. And then we'll have 10 and 11.30 on Sunday morning, December the 8th. So again, 8.30 is going away for the next couple of weeks, uh, but then we'll jump back into that. So if you normally attend 8.30, you can make that adjustment with us. It's going to be a great couple of weeks. And then we jump into a Generations Christmas, how we'll spend the last part of December together. I am excited uh, because we're gump- coming into Thanksgiving week. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite weeks of the year because I love to eat and I love sports and there's a lot of that happening in this week. Uh, And so as I've been thinking about Thanksgiving, uh, I just want you to know how thankful I am for you. Uh, I don't have to say that. Nobody makes me say that. Uh, But I just, I love you. I pray for you often. Corey and I do. And and we think about you all the time. We say it all the time. We've got five kids. We've got Cooper, Branson, Tucker, Kinley, and Canton Church. Uh, And so we, we, on date nights sometimes, we're talking about you and the church and the future and what God has planned. So thank you just being a part of this. Thank you for just continuing to come and to serve and to be a part of all the things that we offer here. Thank you for the way you treat my family. You treat my kids uh, and my wife. I just want to say thank you for that. You treat us so well. Uh, You blessed us through the trustees a few weeks ago for pastor appreciation, but I just want to say thank you. You always are so encouraging. Some of you are going to have to work it out with God because you come up to me after Sundays and tell me it was the best sermon you ever heard. That's a lie. Uh, It makes me feel great, but you and Jesus need to get that right, so I'll let you work that out with him. But uh, I do. I love you so much. And I just want to tell you that I'm thankful for you leading up to Thanksgiving. Today we are concluding this series we've been in for the last few weeks called Forgiven. The first week we talked about the idea of seeking forgiveness from God. 
What does that look like? What do we need forgiveness for? Uh, what is sin? If we're going to get forgiveness for something, we need to find out what that is. That's sin, indiscretions, transgressions, iniquities, the Bible calls them. And so what is that? How do we get forgiveness? What, is, what does that look like for us? And, and so we talked about getting forgiveness from God. Last week, we talked about forgiving ourselves. And I, man, I'm telling you, I had so many people after the service and then throughout the week that kind of reached out to say, hey, you know, the church has never really talked about that or the churches I've been a part of or it helped me so much or I've been holding on to these things that I was, you know, maybe I'd ask forgiveness from God or even ask forgiveness from some other people, but I never really worked through how to forgive myself. And so um, I'm thankful for that. Thank you for what the Lord did there. And today I want to talk about something that the church probably has talked about a good bit, this idea of forgiving other people. Now, let me just say right up front what I want you to hear from me, that I am not in any way trying to minimize what you have experienced. I don't know the pain that you've experienced. I don't know the, 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 the tragedy that you've experienced. I don't know the things that the people have said to you or done to you. I don't know what happened in your childhood or maybe in, in your adult life or somewhere in between that has caused you harm or, or great pain. And so in no way would anything that I'm saying today uh, make light of that, uh, like try to minimize that in any way. I am sensitive to those things. But all that I can do in a room like this across multiple services and then even all the, the various people that listen to our podcast on a regular basis, I can just trust that God's word will go forth and help us no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what your, the, the, the things that you've walked through in your life. And so I just want to present God's word to us today about this idea of forgiving others. And when I think about forgiving others... You know, I think we can go a lot of directions, and we are going to go a few in just a minute, but I think we could probably start right with Jesus. That's a great place to start. If you're a Christ follower, it means you're following the example of Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we are little Christs, really what that word is defined as. And so for us, we go to Jesus Christ, and at the very beginning of his ministry, in Matthew chapter 6, he's teaching us how to pray. And as a part of the Lord's Prayer, and a part of that prayer that he's teaching his disciples and now us as followers to pray, right in the middle of that, this is what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. It says, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Now, depending on your translation of Scripture, you may see, instead of the word sins there, you may see transgressions, you may see debts and debtors, whatever the words are there. It's the idea that as we seek forgiveness from God... There is an expectation that we are also extending forgiveness to those that need forgiveness from us. There's another place in the Gospels where Jesus is telling a story about what was happening there. And it's a, it's a parable, so this is not necessarily a real story, but a story that Jesus is using to illustrate a larger point. And so just for our context, I'm paraphrasing the story. He says the king brings in a leader in the community who owes money to the government. He brings in a guy who owes some back taxes. Maybe for our purposes today, let's just say he owes $1,000 in back taxes. There's a lot of money, and so he doesn't really have that money, and so he's begging the king for forgiveness and mercy and grace. Hey, can you help me out here? Can you extend the deadline? I can't really pay it. And so the king's like, okay, uh, yeah, that's fine. You know what? I'm actually just going to forgive the debt. You're a good guy. You work hard for us. So I'll just forgive the debt, and there's no reason for you to even pay it back. And the guy's like, oh, thank you so much. Okay. And he goes walking out of the palace, and he finds his way onto the street, and on the street he finds one of the guys that works for him. So this guy comes and works for him, you know, a couple days a week, and he remembers that he loaned that guy 50 bucks. 
And so he says to the guy, hey, I need you to pay me back that $50. And the guy's like, oh, well, I don't have it. Can you, can you give me some time? I'll, I'll try to pay you by the end of the week or the end of the month, or can you just help me? And the guy's like, no, you owe me 50 bucks. So, you know, what I, I have the right to do, I can actually throw you in jail for owing me money, and so you're going to jail. Well, somebody observes this interaction happening and knows that this guy was just forgiven a much greater debt by the king, and so they go tell the king. The king brings the guy back and says, hey, what are you doing? You were forgiven a great debt, and yet you held a little debt against someone else. This is the same principle of what Jesus was trying to teach in the Lord's Prayer. He says, as you seek forgiveness from God, you want grace and mercy from God, you also have to extend that kind of grace and mercy. You have to extend forgiveness to those who have done you wrong. That's like, oh man, that's a, that's a challenging thought. That's a really tough thing to think about. But it gets even tougher. Because this was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. If you go all the way to the end of his life here on the earth, you come to that place where Jesus, who had lived a sinless, blameless life, he's betrayed by a friend, and he's arrested. And after his arrest, he's led before this kind of sham trial that they've thrown together to make them feel better about what they're doing. And they eventually beat him. They, they, they literally rip the skin from his back as they're whipping him. They lead him to his own death as he has to carry his own cross up the hill on the back that is bruised and battered and bleeding. They've put a crown of thorns on his head. They nail into his hands and into his feet to hold him onto the cross. And when they drop it into the ground, the weight of his body is hanging there through those nails. They pierce his side to where blood runs out of his body. And in some of the final breaths that he has on the earth, he looks at those same people and he says this. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He, he's hanging on the cross above the guards that beat him. He's hanging on the cross looking at people who just a few days before worshipped him and now they are crying, crucify him, crucify him. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's a challenging thought to me. If you go to the Old Testament... One of my favorite stories, and, I, and I've been chastised the last few days for using that phrase too much. People are like, you can't have all of them as your favorites. Yes, I can, so back off. I really like the story in the end of the book of Genesis of a guy named Joseph. Joseph, his story in the book of Genesis takes up like 25% of the book of Genesis, which is a huge deal. You think Genesis, that's like an important book. Like you got creation and um, Noah and the ark and all these incredible things. And yet the story of Joseph really spans from like the end of the chapters that are 30s all the way through 50. So like it's 25% or so of the book of Genesis. And, and you have this incredible story of Joseph. Joseph was the dreamer, teenager, right? And he was the, the dreamer who his father loved and gave him this coat of many colors. And he, he declares to his brothers one time, he's like, hey, I had this dream that the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars are going to come and bow down before me. And they're like, wait a minute. Sun, dad, moon, mom, 11 brothers, 11 stars. Are we going to bow down and worship you? And he's like, yeah. Now, if you have a brother or sister, you know at that point you would have wanted to kill them, Right? And that's exactly what his brothers thought. Let's kill this guy. 
So one day, they're out in the field working. Joseph is not working because he's the favored child. And so they see him coming from a long distance off because he's got this coat of many colors. And they see him coming. And as they see him coming, they start to devise this plan. Let's kill him. Like we hate him. Let's kill him, right? Hopefully, you, you might not love your siblings, but maybe you've never had that thought, like with an actual plan to follow through on it. And so they're like, okay, let's kill him. And one of the brothers speaks up and is like, no, 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 let's not do that. Let's just make some money off of him. Let's sell him. Which sounds like a great idea now, thinking about my childhood with my younger brother. But I never did that. And so they're like, okay, let's do it. So they get him there. They rip off his coat. They tear it. They throw it into some blood of an animal. They throw him down into a pit. And they wait on these slave drivers, these gypsies, to come by. And they sell him to these guys that are going to take him to another country to sell him off or do whatever they want. But their hands are clean because they didn't kill him. And so they go back and they tell Joseph's dad, hey, I'm sorry, an animal killed your favored son, Joseph. The dad's distraught, as you can imagine. Well, these, these gypsies, they take Joseph to another country. And when they get there, they sell him to a guy named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was like a really rich guy who had a lot of possessions. He was a pretty well-to-do guy in that country. But Potiphar sees that there's something special about Joseph. There's something like supernatural that the hand of God rests on him and this God's favors on him. And so Potiphar eventually raises him up to be the second in command in his house. Like nobody has more power in Potiphar's house other than Potiphar than Joseph. And so Joseph's doing his best. He's doing everything that Potiphar has asked him to do. But evidently he was a good looking guy, right? And so Potiphar's wife sees Joseph one day and desires him for herself. And so she pursues him and gets him alone in this one part of the house. And as she does, Joseph, in his integrity, says, no, 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 I'm not. I can't. You don't understand. Your husband has trusted me with everything in this house except you. I'm not going to betray him. I'm not going to betray God. I'm not going to betray myself. So no, I'm not going to do it. Well, she gets angry. And so she grabs a hold of his coat. He runs away. Second coat, he's now lost. And so then she lies to her husband. Says, hey, this servant that you brought into our house, he tried to harm me. He tried to hurt me. He was violent. So Potiphar could have had him killed. We don't fully know why he didn't kill him other than perhaps he saw the favor of God, the blessings of God in his life. Maybe he kind of assumed that his wife had a tendency to stretch the truth. I don't know. I'm reading between the lines here. But he could have had him killed. Instead of having him killed, he just threw him in prison. The prison guard noticed something about Joseph. There's something different about this guy. The blessing of God, the favor of God, the, the peace of God rests on him. And so eventually, the prison guard promotes Joseph. He's now the second in command in the jail. This is like the, the scene in the movie Shawshank Redemption. He's the guy pushing the cart, handing out books to the guys in the cells. If you've never seen Shawshank Redemption, just watch TNT, 23 hours a day. That's the only thing they show anymore. And so, like, he's the guy handing out books and handing out supplies. Like, he's in charge. Like, he's got the keys to all the cells, and they trust him to do whatever it is that he wants to do in the jail. Well, one day, he comes across these two guys. And these two guys are like, oh, man, we're so depressed and distraught. And he's like, hey, tell me what happened. They're like, well, we had these dreams. He's like, dreams? I have dreams. I know what dreams mean. Tell me your dreams. And so they're like, okay. And so they tell him the dreams. One guy tells him. The other guy tells him. He's like, okay, hey, I got good news and bad news. You, you're going to be promoted back to your original job in Pharaoh's palace. You, you're going to die. You may want to live it up in the next couple of days because it's, it's coming soon. And so then they're like, okay, all right, well, you know, thanks for telling us. And sure enough, wouldn't you know it, a couple days later, it happens exactly like Joseph had said. One guy's killed. One guy's promoted back to Pharaoh's palace. And here's what happens. When he's promoted back just before he leaves the jail, Joseph says to him, hey, don't forget about me. 
I'm here through no fault of my own. I didn't deserve to be at Potiphar's house. I don't deserve to be in prison. Will you please remember me? The guy's like, absolutely. You're the reason I'm being promoted back. I would never forget about you. He forgets about him for three years. He doesn't remember him at all. He goes back to Pharaoh's palace. And one night, Pharaoh has a dream. It's that next morning as he's listening to all these people try to interpret his dreams that the guy walks in and he's like, oh yeah, there's that guy who knows how to interpret dreams. There's a guy in your prison. You need to go get him. You need to bring him in. He knows how to tell you what this means. So they go get Joseph. They clean him up. He walks in. Pharaoh says, hey, I had two dreams. One was about fat cows and skinny cows. One was about, you know, big ears of grain or whatever their ears are. It's not ears. That's corn. But anyway, you know what I'm saying? Big grain and little grain. And he's like, I know exactly what it means. Here's what it means. There's going to be seven years of plenty. You're going to have everything you can imagine. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. And so during the seven years of plenty, you need to store up all the food. You need to have everybody give you a portion of their food so that you can store it and keep it. So that when the famine comes, they'll come to you and buy the food that they need, and it will make you richer. Pharaoh's like, that's an incredible plan. Thank you so much for that. I need somebody to run this feeding program. You're my guy. And he raises Joseph up to be the second most powerful man in the entire kingdom next to Pharaoh. He puts a ring on his finger, says, hey, whatever you stamp with this ring, it's as if I said it myself. And so Joseph is leading the feeding program. He's acquiring all the food during the seven years of plenty. And then, when you know it, seven years of famine comes. And people are hungry, and they come to Joseph to buy food from Pharaoh. Well, this incredible thing happens. In a far-off country, there's a family with 11 sons, and the food has run out, and they're hungry. And the dad has heard through the grapevine that Pharaoh has some food over there, and so he sends some of his sons to go and find food. Unbelievable story. You need to read it for yourself there in the end of the book of Genesis. But they go to Pharaoh, some of these sons, some of these same boys that sold Joseph off, and they show up into the house where Joseph is at, and they're like, hey, we need some food. They don't recognize Joseph. They assume that Joseph is dead or off somewhere. There's no telling. They haven't even really thought about him. It doesn't tell us they have much guilt at all. But Joseph immediately recognizes, these are my brothers. There's this incredible back and forth where he sends them away and he puts, hides some things in their pack so that they uh, think that they've stolen something from him and they, they come back and they go get their other brother and they bring him back and there's this incredible scene and then Joseph eventually can't keep it together. Like he's crying. And so he sends everybody out of the room and then he says the most amazing thing to the men who should have loved him the most but hated him so much. They sold him away. This is what it says in Genesis 50, verse 20. You tried to harm me, but God made it turn out for the best so that he could save all these people as he is now doing. What you meant for harm, God turned around for good. He says, go and get my father. Bring him here. And let's live together again. That's challenging to me. There's another amazing story earlier in the book of Genesis. It's actually some of the grandparents and aunts and uncles of Joseph's family. Some guys by the name of Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau were twins, and as they were being born... Esau was going to be the firstborn, but Jacob was trying to get out first, and he, he comes out kind of holding on. He's trying his best to get out. Later, they get a little, little older, and 
Esau is a manly man, much like me and some of you. And he's a manly man, right? Hunter-gatherer type. You know, when you look at us, you see like that. And I've been called Esau many, many times. And so Esau is that kind of guy. And so as a teenager, he goes out and he's trying to hunt food for the entire family, perhaps multiple families there in the village. And so he, he's hunting and he's so hungry when he comes back to the house that he asks Jacob, because Jacob's not a hunter, like he watches the Food Network a lot and he you know, takes care of the house with mom. And so they're totally different boys. So he says to his brother Jacob, he's like, hey, would you make me some soup? And Jacob's like, absolutely, if you'll trade me your birthright. Well, that's a terrible trade. Nobody would make that trade unless you're hungry. There is this moment in all of our lives when temptation comes and we haven't been feeding ourselves the right things. And so we're so hungry that we're willing to trade away those things which make no sense in any, any negotiation. Trade away those things that matter most to us for things that won't matter anything a few minutes from now. Jacob says, yeah, I'll, I'll give you some soup for your birthright. Now, birthright's not something that you and I talk about a lot, but in that culture, birthright was like a big deal. It went to the oldest because the oldest was tasked to care for the family once the, the dad and the, the mom and dad passed away. And so they were given two-thirds of the inheritance, no matter how many siblings there were. If there was two or ten, the oldest still got two-thirds of all the inheritance, and the rest of the siblings had to kind of divide up that last one-third because the two-thirds were meant for that individual, but also to provide for the family moving forward. So the birthright was a big deal. It was a, it was a calling to care for and to provide for your family. It was a big deal. But in that moment, Esau was willing to trade away his birthright for a bowl of soup. Jacob deceived him, took advantage of him. Later in their life, when their dad is just about to die, he's blind, he can't see very well at all, and he says to Esau one day, he says, my son, I want to bless you before I die, and so I want you to go out, kill something, cook it, bring it back to me, let's eat together, and then I will bless you. This is another thing that we don't talk about a ton in our culture, but in that culture, the fatherly blessing was an amazing blessing, amazing reality for, for the children to receive, and so the oldest and then those that came after would receive the blessing of the father, the blessing of the parents, so that they could receive all that the parents were asking God to do in and through them as they were to continue in life even after their parents would pass on. And so word gets to Jacob through his mother that this is what the father has asked. And so even though Esau goes out to try and to find food, Jacob runs out. He gets something quickly. He comes back, brings it to mom. Mom cooks it up. But he knows he doesn't look like, sound like, smell like his brother at all. And so Esau's really hairy. Jacob is not. And so he gets some animal skin that has some hair on it. And he wears it on his hands so that he's got more hair. So if his dad touches, it would, would kind of maybe seem like, okay, maybe that is Esau. He puts on his brother's clothes so that it smells like the outside and it smells like his brother. And he comes back into the tent with the food and he brings it to his father. He says, Dad, I'm here. And his father's listening and he says, who's here? He said, Esau, your son. He said, it sounds like Jacob. He said, no, it's, it's Esau. He said, come close to me, son. He comes close and he touches his hands and he said, well, it, it sounds like Jacob, but it feels like Esau. He smells. It sounds like Jacob, but it smells like Esau. He said, come and let's eat. They eat. And he blesses Jacob with Esau's blessing. 
few minutes later, Esau comes into the tent. He's prepared the meal for the things that he has provided for his father. He says, Dad, I'm here. He said, who's here? He said, Esau. He said, I've already blessed you. He said, no, I'm, I'm here. He said, come close to me. He says, well, I'm sorry, I, I've already given away your blessing. Esau's angry. Word gets to Jacob that, like, your brother wants to kill you. Jacob's like, I'm out. He takes off, lives in isolation from his brother and his family for years, gets married, has children, acquires possessions, and then one day he's making his way back to Esau. And as he's making his way back to his brother, he assumes, and rightfully so, that Esau will want to kill him. He'll want to rob him of everything that actually Jacob has stolen away from Esau. All of the blessings of his life really were due to Esau, but he stole the birthright and he stole the blessings. And so there's no way that Esau is going to forgive him. And so when he's going to meet Esau, he sends ahead of him all of his possessions. He sends his flock and his herd. He, he sends all the animals and those that would care for the animals. He sends all of his possessions out before him. And just before he gets to meet Esau, he sends his family ahead. He splits his family, he divides them. Just in case Esau were to kill some of his family, he'd still have some of his family left for himself. And he wrestles with God and asks for God's blessing. And then he goes to meet Esau. Esau sees him a long way off. And Jacob's given word. Everybody that would meet Esau before him, when you get to him, tell him that this is a gift from his brother Jacob. Let him know. He's trying to manipulate that moment. He's trying to take care of himself, make sure that by the time he gets to Esau, Esau is so excited about all these gifts that he's gotten that he surely can't be mad at Jacob anymore. And here's what happens when Esau eventually meets Jacob. Genesis chapter 33. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him, and he threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him, and they wept. Verse 8, Esau asked, What's the meaning of all these flocks and herds that I met to find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. This is so challenging to me. It's incredibly challenging to me that Esau would respond this way. I've got to admit, I, I've preached the story of Jacob and Esau a couple of times in my ministry, and almost always I talk about Jacob. I'm referencing Jacob. I'm talking about Jacob's story. I'm talking about what Jacob's done. Jacob's deceiver. Jacob becomes Israel, and that's the story and the plans of God. And it is. I very rarely think about the response of Esau. It's challenging to me. But even before I think about how challenging it is, I'm confronted with this story of Jacob and others, the brothers of Joseph, the soldiers at the foot of the cross, to recognize that in each of these stories, not only was there the offended, there was the offender. The soldiers in the crowd, the brothers of Joseph, Jacob who had robbed his brother, offenders. And I know in this room, even as we talk about this subject, we are already thinking about, some of us, those people who have hurt us, we are the offended. We're the ones who have been hurt. We're the ones who were lied to. We're the ones who had been wrong done to them. Very rarely do we think about ourselves as the offenders. And yet what we see in all of these stories is that there was something 
that was happening. Jesus talked about it. The Gospels talk about it. The Apostle Paul talks about it later in the New Testament. The role, the responsibility of those who are the offenders. There's one place that talks about the idea that if you come to worship, you come like in a moment like this, and you're going to sing songs, and you're going to bring an offering, offer sacrifice to God. And just before you do, or in the middle of actually doing that, you recognize that you've done something to hurt someone else. You're the offender. That you're supposed to leave the gift, leave the worship, leave the moment, and go and make it right, and try to reconcile it with that person, and then come back and continue your worship. I know for me, when I think about that, I think about all the times that I've worshipped, and I'd never really sought forgiveness and reconciliation from those who I had done wrong to. And then if I put on the hat of the offended, and I think about being the one who's been hurt, wouldn't it be awesome if those who hurt us came to us, and they were like, we know what we did, we're so sorry, please forgive us. I can't even worship anymore, I can't go to church anymore until I know that you've forgiven me. But so often, that's just not what they do. That's not what they do, and we see that play out here in these stories we've talked about today. Jesus hanging on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Can I be honest with you today? Most of the people who have hurt you didn't know how bad they hurt you. Now, there are evil people in the world. There are terrible, terrible people in the world who knew exactly what they were doing, and they just kept pushing. They knew exactly the harm that they were causing, and they kept doing it. But for the most part, the people who hurt you and the people who hurt me look exactly like you and exactly like me. And they made a mistake. They said something they shouldn't have said. They did something they shouldn't have done. And they don't even know how bad they hurt you. And if I'm going to learn anything from Jesus, Christ follower that I desire to be, little Christ that I want to be, in a moment of great pain and suffering hanging on the cross, he looks at those who have done him harm. He says, Father, forgive them. They didn't even know. How much freedom would come if we gave them the benefit of the doubt? If we just assumed about them what we wish they would assume about us or that someone would assume about us that we're not as evil as maybe our actions would indicate or our behavior would indicate, we made a mistake, and so we give them the benefit of the doubt, and we say, God, I forgive them. Perhaps they didn't even know. Or maybe it's the story of Joseph, a man who had every right to be angry. He had been betrayed by those closest to him. He had been lied about by someone that he had actually done the right thing, like the exact thing you want him to do, he did. And it got him into prison. He was forgotten by someone he helped. And yet he had the ability to stand before his brothers. 
and to say, like, this is not the story I would have written. This is not the way I would have worked it out. But what you intended for harm, God has turned to good. To trust that God can redeem the moments of pain. To trust that God can take the hurts that I've experienced and the mistakes that have been made and the harmful words and those moments of great agony and he can turn them into joy. He can turn them into purpose. He can give you a story that would actually help someone else. What you intended for harm, God has turned to good. Or maybe it's the story of Esau. He had every right to be angry. He had every right to be angry with his brother Jacob. Jacob stole his birthright. He manipulated him. He betrayed him. He lied to their father. He stole his blessing. And then if you can get beyond all of that, then he ran away. He caused us to miss out on the memories we would have had had we lived near one another and our kids grew up together and he just ran away. He isolated himself. How am I supposed to feel? Absolutely I'm angry. Absolutely I'm frustrated. Hurt? Absolutely I feel that way. And yet, when we see Esau again, as he sees Jacob for the first time, what does he do? He runs to him. He embraces him. He kisses him. He gives affection towards him. And then he says to him, what is all this? Jacob says, well, this is is gifts to you. Now think about this. Everything he had encountered before he got to Jacob probably should have been his. All the flock and the herds and the people and the servants and the possessions and the money and the the family and the lineage and the heritage. Absolutely, it should have been his. It could have been a part of the blessing of his father and the birthright that was due to him. And It could have been. It should have been. But his response is, no, 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 listen. I've got enough. You keep it for yourself. I've got enough. If there's anything beyond forgiving someone who's harmed me, perhaps it's this, that I don't just forgive them, I bless them. They they hurt me. They lied to me. They betrayed me. I, I should be hurt. I have the right to be angry. And you do. But I don't just forgive them. I bless them. What an incredible story. At some point I'll preach it. I'll probably write it. Jacob sought the blessings of his father and blessings of his family and wrestled with God to receive the blessings of God. And in this moment, he finally received the blessing of his brother. I don't know what you've experienced. I don't know what you've walked through. I don't know who hurt you and what they did to hurt you. And you have every right to feel everything you've ever felt. 
But perhaps today you could follow the example of Jesus Christ and just say, God, forgive them. I forgive them. They probably didn't even know how deeply they hurt me. Maybe we can follow the example of Joseph and say, God, I trust you. They intended to harm me. They wanted to do bad by me. <laughs> but God, you can redeem pain. And so God, I just trust you. Maybe you come to the place where you trust God and you forgive and then you bless them. I hope God does exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or imagine. I have everything that I need. I trust God as my provider and I pray that God does even more through you. Probably doesn't happen in a moment. Probably takes a little time. But my prayer for you and my hope for you today is that this week, if you're sitting across the table from someone and they hurt you, that what God's doing right now is giving you the ability to forgive, to trust Him, and to bless Him. My hope for you today is that if even it's not Thursday, but you're sitting next to that person right now. And they hurt you in unimaginable ways. But there would come a moment where even before you feel it, you could say, you may not even know all that you did to me, but I forgive you. God's redeeming these moments. And I pray God's blessings over I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. God, a heavy thought, heavy moment. But as we step into this week of thanksgiving, we are thankful for the forgiveness that you offer to us. We're thankful for your grace and your mercy. We're thankful for your provision in our lives. And God, I pray now for every person in this room, any person who may listen later, those across all of our services today, that you would help this to become a reality for all of us. And if you would say to me now, Jeremy, for me, I know what I need to do. I need to ask God to be the Lord and Savior of my life, to forgive my sins. I need to step into that life with him and ask him to change my eternity forever. I'm a sinner in need of him to be my savior. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. You can put it right down. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, it's going to be tough because they wounded me in a pretty, pretty bad way. But I've got somebody that I need to forgive. And I want God to help me to set them free and to set me free. I want to forgive them. I want to trust God to redeem my pain. And I want to come to the place where I could even bless them. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. God, we love you today, and we thank you for what you're doing. Be with us this week. Be with us in these hours ahead, these days ahead. We ask you to do a work in and through us that we cannot accomplish on our own. I pray that you would help us to forgive those who have wounded us. God, heal our hurts. 
God, if there are needs beyond just this supernatural moment of forgiveness that we seek and we need to talk to someone, let us seek that out for counseling and a pastor perhaps, someone that we can talk to. And God, I pray that as we do that, you would bring healing into our hearts and our lives. We trust you to redeem our pain. Help us to forgive those as you forgive us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.